I was young then, but I thought I had done a fairly decent job with a fairly difficult subject, but he thought otherwise. And so after the service, he said to me, Preacher, are you sure you had the right man up there in that coffin? Words speak louder, or actions speak louder than words, and I knew that fellow that was in that coffin, and I don't remember him the way you do. When I think about that fellow whose life was hard and for whom life had made him hard, I am reminded of Jacob. Jacob is an unlikely hero. He is, of course, patriarch of our faith. But most of his actions were not admirable. For the most part, Jacob was something of a cheat, a scoundrel, a fellow who manipulated others to his own advantage. He deceived his father, he finagled his father-in-law, he exploited his brother, exploited his first wife. And there was this terrible animosity, of course, between Jacob and Esau, his older brother. And Esau had vowed to kill Jacob. So as Jacob prepared to meet Esau, who posed a very real and present danger, Jacob put all of his family and all of his servants out front And he got at the very back of the line. Yet Scripture favors Jacob. And so do we. We favor Jacob because he, like we, was a man in search of a blessing. He knew in his heart of hearts that a blessing stolen is no blessing at all. So on the eve before he is to meet, he was to meet Esau, Jacob was desperate. And in a night of fitful unrest, he wrestled with a stranger. A stranger who appeared at once to be a man, an angel, and God. Jacob asked the stranger's name, but received no reply except the question, Why do you ask my name? But it is a telling question. Because behind the question is another question, which is the basic of most all questions. Jacob wants to know, What is God's name? What is God's real nature? Who is God? And how does God regard me, sinner that I am? In his heart of hearts, Jacob knows what kind of man he is. Still, he hopes, he prays. He demands for God to love him. That is the question of the ages, isn't it? 
In our truest moments, we know ourselves. And we want to know, need to know, who God is. Beneath all of the ways that we put ourselves forward or hide ourselves is this primal desire to know who God is. How does God regard me, sinner though I am? In what was regarded as his best piece of music or best piece of work, Charles Wesley wrote of this primal struggle of the soul. And he based his work around that image of Jacob wrestling with the angel. Come, O thou traveler unknown, demands an answer to this deepest of all questions. Still I hold but cannot see My company before is gone And I am left alone with thee With thee all night I mean to stay And wrestle till the break of day With thee all night I mean to stay And wrestle till the break of day. Yield to me now, for I am weak, but confident in self-despair. Speak to It is the question we all need to answer. Is God's name, is God's nature love? And that answer, of course, comes fully and finally in Jesus of Nazareth. In today's gospel lesson, Jesus has heard of the execution of John the Baptist by Herod Antipas. And he leaves the promised land and he finds a lonely place. And there in Greece retreat, he prepares to move one step closer to the great sorrow that awaits him. 
But the crowds, like Jacob, will not let him be. They will not let him go. They are desperate for blessings. They follow him. They find him. They demand of him that he do something for them. And there, Matthew tells us, God's name and God's nature are revealed. The apostle tells us that upon seeing these crowds, these demanding people, in all of their imperfections, in all of their vulnerabilities, in all of their demands, upon seeing the crowd, Jesus has compassion for them. And scholars tell us that the English translations are so inadequate here, the full sense of the original language would be to say that upon seeing the crowds, Jesus is moved deeply by a maternal compassion, by the kind of affection that a mother would have for a child. And we who are parents understand that, don't we? We see our little ones in their vulnerabilities. We see them in, our Im- in their imperfections. And we love them all the more because they are not perfect. And yet we see them also in their potential. And we love them for the sake of what they can yet be. Jesus sees the crowd in their vulnerabilities, in their imperfections, and he loves them for the sake of it. He sees them in their magnificent potential, and he loves them for the sake of it. And filled with compassion, filled with this great affection that is deep within, he feeds them. And it is a sign. It declares who he is. It declares who God is. That God is love. And so I was able to preach that man's funeral and to preach it with a measure of hope. Not just because of who he was, but because of who God is. And so we come to this meal with all of our imperfections, with all of our vulnerabilities, we come also with our amazing potential. We are stunted by sin, but still possessing something of the divine image. And so we show up in great need, wanting to know again, wanting to know, wanting to be sure. And Jesus feeds us. Feeds us the meal of his own life. And we receive his gifts awaiting the fullness of his coming when we shall eat at the heavenly banquet. And then we will know fully, even as we are fully known. But even now, in this plain fare of cup and bread, the gospel is proclaimed. And Jesus says to us, this is how much I love you. And the Spirit whispers, and we hear again the name 
and nature of God.